Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It would be a true crime to miss today's show. Sex, drugs, murder, mafia, and a bunch of dudes walking around in G-strings. So let's get cooking. You want to keep watching as you saute the fish to make sure that the butter isn't burning. I'm Patrick Gomez from Entertainment Weekly, filling in for Jared Hall. And here's what to watch on Monday, March 14th. We're counting down today's top three must-see picks from TV and movies. But first, your entertainment headlines. Jane Campion made headlines twice at Saturday's Directors Guild of America Awards. Once for taking home the DGA's top annual prize for her direction of The Power of the Dog, and again when she called 1883 actor Sam Elliott, quote, a bit of a bitch. That was in response to what many have called misogynistic and homophobic comments he made directed at her 12-time Oscar-nominated Western. Among Elliott's criticisms of Power of the Dog was its, quote, allusions to homosexuality. Campion said on the DGA carpet that Elliot is, quote, not a cowboy. He's an actor. The West is a myth exposed. There's a lot of room on the range. I think it's a little bit sexist because you think about the number of amazing Westerns that were made in Spain by Sergio Leone. I consider myself a creator, and I think he sees me as a woman or something lesser first, and I don't appreciate that. In other award news, the 75th EE British Academy Film and Television Arts Awards better known as the BAFTAs, took place Sunday. Jane Campion won the Director Award there as well, and her Power of the Dog took home Best Film. Other big winners were the animated film Encanto, British film Belfast, West Side Story's Ariana DeBose, Coda's Troy Kotzer, King Richard's Will Smith, and After Love's Joanna Scanlon. And finally, at the box office this weekend, The Batman maintained its top spot taking in another $66 million and bringing its worldwide total to a whopping $238.5 million. Meanwhile, outside of Gotham, Tom Holland's Uncharted remained at number two, earning an additional $9.2 million at the domestic box office. Global Korean pop icons BTS danced their way into third place, bringing in $6.8 million for their one-day theater event, BTS Permission to Dance on Stage. Channing Tatum's Dog and Holland's Spider-Man No Way Home rounded out the top five, bringing in an additional $5.3 million and $4 million, respectively. For more on these stories, plus other news, reviews, interviews, and more, head over to EW.com. Lots of laughter and love is coming your way with our number three pick, a special crossover episode of Bob Hart's Abishola. Tonight, the neighborhood's Calvin and Tina Butler, played by Cedric the Entertainer and Tanisha Arnold, will be making a guest appearance on the CBS sitcom. The episode sees Bob decide to shoot a TV commercial for his sock company, MaxDot. But when the director tries to focus the ad on his family, he's not sure they're cut out for the small screen. Calvin and Tina's roles in the episode are being kept a secret for now. But fans of both shows are sure to be entertained. Here's a clip from the episode. Believe how far we've come? You and Dad selling socks out of the trunk of your Oldsmobile, now we're making a national TV commercial. I wish your father could see this. He does see it, Mom. 
I can feel his presence. Well, I didn't feel yours. What's she doing here? I asked her. Why? Well, she might not be part of the company anymore, but she's still part of the family. I disagree. She left us for another sock company. She's dead to me. How can you say that? Fine, she's in a coma. Either way, I don't want her in the commercial. Mom, come on. Family and business don't always mix well. You can catch the special crossover event on Bob Hart's Abishola tonight at 8.30 on CBS. It's trivia time. Before landing her role on Bob Hart's Abishola, star Folake Olowofoyeku appeared in two music videos with what late rock star? Prince, David Bowie, or Eddie Van Halen? Stick around for the answer. Number two. Now let's take a look at the surprisingly dark history behind a fun spot for a girl's night out. Our number two pick is the premiere of the docuseries Secrets of the Chippendales Murders. The new four-part docuseries from A&E recounts how the Chippendales Club, which employed muscular male exotic dancers, eventually became the destination for mafia shakedowns, drug dealings, and shocking murders. With never-before-seen crime scene footage and exclusive interviews, the true story behind the murder of Chippendales choreographer Nick DeNoia is teased to finally be revealed. Here's a preview. Where's the emergency? A man has just been shot in Chippendale. Oh my God. Sex, drugs, murder, mafia, and a bunch of dudes walking around in G-strings. Chippendales literally became a phenomenon. There was a show that you saw, and then there's what took place afterward. It was crazy. We had what we called the orgy room. Wasn't like that at all. <laughs> Hear the inside story. He said the mafia works the door. Like never before. His two partners were stabbing each other in the back. And Nick started getting credit of owning Chippendales. That would piss off anybody. From the people who were there. Somebody walked in, shot him, and left. Broad daylight. There's a lot of unanswered questions. I never foresaw what he was capable of. Can we stop? So walking in there, have you ever killed someone before? We had a chat with one of the former Chippendales producers, Jay Schwartz, who speaks publicly about the murders for the first time in the docuseries. Though, beyond the Mafia and murders, there apparently was plenty of salacious happenings going on. Here's Schwartz painting a picture of the behind-the-scenes Chippendales drama just waiting to be told. The real story is what happened inside the club. The, how it was a cash business, and the owners were taking cash out in big hefty bags and putting them in the trunks of their car. It was the guys taking the women to the roof of the club to have sex, doing coke in the bathrooms, uh, having sex with the women in the men's room because there were no men in the club. So this is a story of the grit of meat and potatoes of what happened inside that club and what made that club so popular. Because when that club took off in New York, it was the hottest club there. Well, we can't wait for the inevitable scripted series that'll explore all those salacious details. But for now, we can get the real-life version on Secrets of the Chippendales Murders, premiering tonight at 10 on A&E. Don't go anywhere. Our number one pick is coming up. What to Watch will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive. 
as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to EW's What to Watch. This week in entertainment history, the Academy Awards were televised for the first time 69 years ago this week on March 19, 1953, with a bi-coastal ceremony airing live on NBC from both Hollywood and New York City. That year marked the 25th Oscars ceremony and saw Gary Cooper win Best Actor for his performance in the Western High Noon, while Shirley Booth won Best Actress for reprising her Tony-winning stage performance in Come Back Little Sheba and legendary filmmaker John Ford took home his fourth Best Director trophy for The Quiet Man, setting a record for most wins in the category that still stands today. While High Noon was expected to win Best Picture, a major upset occurred when the circus-set drama The Greatest Show on Earth won instead. Today, the movie is regarded as one of the worst Best Picture winners in history. EW's Krishna Shawadi once described the quote, three-ring schmaltz fest, as big and bright and busy, and there isn't an honest moment in it. It's dated, hokey nonsense. But Greatest Show on Earth did win Academy co-founder Cecil B. DeMille his only competitive Oscar. Number one. And now time to cook up today's number one pick, the Julia Child Challenge. The new Food Network series brings together eight home cooks, all Julia Child superfans, for a culinary competition dedicated to all things Julia. The chefs will cook in a kitchen designed to resemble Child's, use the same ingredients she used, and will even be guided by the late Child herself, who will appear in a large TV screen in the middle of the action. Head judge Antonio Lafaso will lead a rotating panel of guest judges to determine who wins the grand prize of an all-expense-paid three-month cooking course at Le Cordon Bleu. Ooh la la. Lafaso recently sat down with your regular What to Watch host, Jared Hall, to talk about the new show, cooking, and of course, Julia Child. So without further ado, I'll turn the show over to Jared and Antonia. All right, joining me now to break down all of the action is the woman at the head of this show, the head judge, the host, Chef Antonia Lafaso. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thanks for coming. I'm, I'm so happy to be talking to you right now. Well, I'm excited to have you here. I, I'm a big fan, and uh, I was a big fan of Julia Child, so this is just a perfect opportunity to talk all things food. First, I've got to ask, you know, we hear from so many of these contestants on this show, and, and of course, people, I think, are, around the world would really say that Julia Child was uh, an inspiration to them to get into the kitchen, to inspire them to become a chef. Who was your inspiration? So, it's, so interestingly enough, um, you know, I got into cooking because both my parents owned delis, my grandfather owned a pizzeria in Long Island, my uncle. And so I started there. And it wasn't until, um, you know, I got a little bit older and I started watching my very first, you know, exciting moment was seeing Dan Ackerwood make fun of Julia. Child. <laughs> yeah. Well, not really. When you make it to SNL, it's not really making fun of. It's like you've right. actually just made it. Yeah. Um, and watching old reruns of what it is and how she spoke. Um, and I talk about this a lot. It's her humor and her sarcasm. You know, that was her tool for teaching. That was her disarming vehicle to get people really excited and feeling like they can make the perfect French omelet. They can break down a fish. They can, you know, tie an entire duck. 
um, mm -hmm. and really giving people the confidence because she just, there was so much humor behind it. There was so much like, it doesn't matter. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, and it's okay and so, to mess up. Yeah. And so my early mentors were really just my parents, not even realizing that food was something that I could do for the rest of my life. It wasn't until I got older and I started seeing, you know, um, old shows of Julia Child. Um, and then honestly, watching early, early shows of Food Network, watching Bobby Flay, watching Emeril Lagasse, watching Wolfgang Puck, you know, and then I started working for Wolfgang Puck, which is even more insane. And so, you know, those were really the inspiring people that I saw on television. If you go into like what I did in the kitchen, my mentor as a chef, his name was Lee Hefter. Uh, he's who ran all of Wolfgang Puck's restaurants. So that was my true culinary mentor. But as far as television concerned, it was Julia Child. It was Emerald. It was Bobby Flay. It was those guys. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, growing up, my grandma was my babysitter and, and she was very much a, during the day, a PBS watcher. Yeah. So we, we were watching Julia Child and Justin Wilson, the French chef and Paul Prudhomme. Uh, yeah, very fond memories of- Well, and then you also look at it, like, do you do you remember Desperately Seeking Susan with Madonna? Oh yeah, and oh yeah. So Julia Child made a cameo in that yeah. movie because, it, and, and it was like the quintessential showing women in the United States, housewives, you know, if you will, mm -hmm. um, that there was a different way, yeah. that there was this opportunity to bring in a whole other style of cooking to the United States, mm -hmm. you know, and, and doing it and, and really bringing the classics back. This is what I love so much about this woman. And even to this day, and it, it translates through gender, it age, culture, whatever it is, there, there's a fundamental, she believed in the fundamentals in such a way, right? Mm -hmm. So sure, you could go and buy fish in the supermarket, but let me show you where fish comes from. But, you know, it, it's specifically different regions of water. Um, why we use fin fish and before we use shellfish. And it's like teaching foundational cooking. So that way you understand how it's used in all these recipes and all her recipes then connect. And so yeah. getting to be a part of this challenge and sort of, you know, be the head judge in the show, I was brought back to all of my favorite things. Being back in culinary school, learning how to make Somonier for the very first time. I mean, we made it like 15 times. French omelets, when that came, I, I wanted to cry. Like the story that I had about making French omelets and the way that Wolfgang Puck showed me and how it was a rite of passage in the kitchen mm. that I was able to make uh, an omelet with truffles. So I was watching these contestants go through all of these challenges, but at the same time, myself and all of the other guest judges that we had, had our own stories and our own memories and our own like, oh my God, this is when I did this in culinary school, or this was my first experience with this in a cookbook. And so it, we were in the journey with them. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to that point, you have, as I mentioned at the top of the interview here, you are a judge and host of the show, but you have been on the other side of this. You have been a contestant. So what's it like just for yourself kind of turning the tables and having to come at things from that different point of view? I've been judging for a while and mm -hmm. obviously cooking competitively even longer. Yeah. I will never stop cooking competitively. I will always, I never want my knives to get dull, you know, mm -hmm. metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a cook at the end of the day. And so I always want to cook competitively. The opportunity to judge and mentor, you know, and be a head judge is this ability to share a ton of information that I've collected over 23 years of cooking professionally in kitchens and obviously on television. And so there's an opportunity. And I think a lot of contestants, when they see me as a judge, are like, there's a difference. They they understand that I've been in their shoes before. So there's a lot of sympathy. And when I say, hey, by the way, if you want to try this, they really take it to heart because I'm like, 
you know, I've, I have over a hundred competitions under my belt. I have the rep. Let me, let me, let me show you a better way. But at the same time, I'm going to explain what you did wrong. I'm going to, you know, give you the, you know, biggest show when you do something right and congratulate you, but everything, you know, all of it's feedback. And when you're giving that feedback under that intense pressure, it changes you forever. These experiences on reality television and reality cooking television, especially such a heartfelt one like the Julia Child Challenge, where you're talking about history and storytelling, changes the way that we look at food forever. And so all of these home cooks that had an opportunity to be in the first season of this, I know for a fact are forever changed. There were tears. There were these moments of clarity. The way they all came together as, as this community of competitors together, they championed each other on. They wanted to see everyone do well. And so it was it was amazing. So yeah, I think I love coming from it as from a competitor slash judge standpoint, because you know I know what they did wrong. I know what they could have done better. They take what I say to heart, you know, and I also think that there's a lot of respect that I get, which is feels really nice from a lot of the competitors where, you know, they feel like I'm one of them. So they really do kind of take on what I say to them. Yeah. Well, and in this first episode alone, uh, I mean, it's first of all, the the food that they all make looks so good. But uh, you mentioned the tears. You know, we, we even hear from one contestant, uh, you know, a, a life experience she had recently that um, she lost her motivation to cook. And and there's that look you're you're kind of cutting uh, her cake and you turn and look and you're like, ah, like that's as someone you who loves cooking, I, I would assume kind of hard to imagine. No, to be honest, I... All of us, you talk to Alex Guarnaschelli, you talk to Guy Fieri, you talk to Bob, you talk to any chef who's run restaurants and have done this forever. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets burnt out. Everyone well, loses sure. yeah. their way. Everyone mm-hmm. wonders like, do I even know what I'm doing anymore? Am I, mm-hmm. am I even good at this anymore? I still, after three restaurants that have done well in Los Angeles, when I opened my third one, I was like, I don't even think anyone will come <laughs> here. <laughs> Seriously. You know, and people will be like, oh, that's, you know, it's humble that you still... No, you know, those moments and and then there's a rebirth and then you come back to it and you wonder how you even got away from it. But those ebbs and flows of, do I love this? I don't feel a passion for it anymore. Do I want to do this? I'm not good at it. All of that's natural. And so I like to tell contestants that I get a lot of people also in my DMs that are like cooks, chefs, but I'm like, I've been doing this forever. And I just feel like I'm just so burnt out. I'm like, that's normal. That's Mm. normal. There's an emotional and physical thing that happens with cooking. And so it's very easy for that to happen. What everyone needs to know is it passes. Mm -hmm. It passes. It passes when you recharge. It's like you recharge. It's like when doing the Julia Child Challenge for me was my rebirth in this sort of a situation. Yeah. A hundred percent. Wow. It really was. I came off that show in tears. I came off that show. I went to my therapist and I was like, I just had the most incredible experience of my life because you know, all of the shows that I do are amazing. Right. Run out onto the stage and cook with lobster hands, Antonia, or you know what I mean? Eat this double decker sandwich. And I'm so grateful (laughs) for what it is that I do. But sometimes I'm like, you know, did I get away from this fundamental Mm. love of making the perfect omelet and the romance of making a sauce that takes 20 hours? And that's what this show did for me. It brought me back to my start. It made me remember, and this is what Julia uh, always was sharing in every episode. Julia was sharing in every episode her journey. When her and Paul moved to France, when she first started cooking at Le Corlan Bleu, when, you know, all the small little nuances of her journey. And it started me thinking about what my journey was and how far I'd come and looking back at where I started and now where I'm kind of in the middle. All of the judges went through sort of the same transition just in the couple hours they spent on set. What happened on this set was magical. 
It really was. Like I said, there was no culture and no age. You have everyone from Dory Greensman, who's in her 70s, who helped write Julia Child cookbooks, to Alvin Kalin, you know, who does Egg Slut in LA. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This young man who was like, I ran away from home with a Julia Child cookbook because I knew that I couldn't be a doctor and engineer and I didn't want to disappoint my family and Julia Child brought me to cook it. And so there's generations, there's older, there's sort of the middle. I represent sort of the middle, you know, there's younger generations of chefs coming in. And so it was really interesting to see, you know, all of those different versions of culture, gender, and age. Well, the show is, it's really a delight. And uh, for anyone who loves cooking competitions, I highly encourage you to watch because this really does have such a different um, feel and energy to it from a lot of the other shows that you will see, not just on Food Network, but everywhere else. Uh, The Julia Child Challenge debuts tonight, nine o'clock on Food Network. You can also stream it on Discovery Plus. Uh, Chef LaFaso, before I let you go, I have a really important question for you. What you watching? <laughs> you ready for this? Yeah. People get, when I, when I tell them what I binge watch, it's the farthest thing from my actual life, okay? Mindhunters. Like, oh, Mindhunters. I've been watching That's... sort of like the origin of serial killers right now, okay? I can't Oh, you're into true crime? crime? Love true crime. There love true yep. crime. Love mm-hmm. Mindhunters. Um, yeah, anything that sort of like takes me, you know, and I'm just, I'm, I'm deep in it, like deep in it right now. Well, it's easy to get deep in it because it, there's sadly so much to it. Uh, there's so much to it and it blows my yeah. mind, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes when people, you know, they're like, You're, maybe, maybe try something a little bit more upbeat. And I'm like, mine hunters. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that, that's that's all great, you can think about. I'm great in the serial killer world right now. Ah, well, uh, there, there's some really good stuff there. Mindhunters is a fantastic series, which is uh, two seasons available on Netflix. All right, Chef LaFaso, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great pleasure. So good talking to you. Take care. Trivia. Before we go, I'm back with the answer to today's trivia question. Prior to landing her role on Bob Hart's Abashola, Starfalake Olawofoyeku appeared in two music videos with what late rock star? Prince? David Bowie, or Eddie Van Halen? Maybe you want to ch-ch-change your answer before we reveal the correct one. It's David Bowie. Oluwofo Yeku appeared as a bassist in the videos for two Bowie songs, The Stars Are Out Tonight and The Next Day, both in 2013. That's our show for today. We'll have more news and must-see picks for you tomorrow. But be sure to follow or subscribe to What to Watch so you don't miss our daily recommendations, more of which can be found at EW.com. I'm executive editor Patrick Gomez. You can find us on Twitter at EW and at Patrick Gomez LA. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. What to Watch. This episode of What to Watch was written by Tyler Aquilina and Callie Shep. Edited and produced by Joshua Heller. Produced by Jared Hall. Hosted by Patrick Gomez and executive produced by Chanel Johnson.